series in First Thessalonians uh, titled A Word of Encouragement, uh, that Paul writes this letter to the church in Thessalonica uh, to encourage them, right? Uh, he had planted this church uh, but had to leave uh, fairly quickly uh, because of persecution and some challenges and, uh, and then tries to figure out what's going on. Uh, his heart is back in Thessalonica as he is in Corinth. And so he sends Timothy back. Timothy comes back with an encouraging report, and he's like, man, this is exciting. And so he writes this letter to the church in Thessalonica. So it's a word of encouragement to them, but it's a word of encouragement to us. And so I've heard uh, some great feedback from the last two weeks. Uh, our very own Sbu brought the heat, um, which was incredible. Uh, Love the man. And uh, thinking about now trying to convince him to not plant and to stay. Um, join me in that campaign. Um, and then my friend Buddy came last week and I uh, heard unpacked the scripture so beautifully. I've known Buddy since I became a Christian. Um, and so it's been a long relationship. And so what a joy to have him here uh, to share with you. And so uh, I get to jump in First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4 from verse 13 to 18. Um, and here, this is what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk a little bit about death. We're going to talk a little bit about death. A reality that all of us will face at some stage in our lives that we have experienced, that we, we know of someone who has died. And so it's kind of left us with this question, what happens after death? Where, where can we anchor ourselves? Where can we find hope? See, this old-aged question, what happens when we die? That's what Paul's talking about. That's what we're about to unpack in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, uh, this, uh, this phrase, falling asleep, is a simply, it means to die. We're going to read it a few times. This falling asleep, it, it means to die. And so Paul's writing to a church that comes out of a, a culture of Greek speculation. Most of them philosophies uh, floating and rattling around Thessalonica at the time. Many of them... Uh, falling in between, uh, when you die, it just ends. Or you're reincarnated into something else. Floating between those two philosophies, those speculations. But, but here's the thing, I don't believe that we've changed much. That we too have many theories and we speculate. Because we're trying to figure out what happens when we die. Where can we anchor our hope? And so I went onto the internet and just kind of typed in, what do people believe? And so I got the top five speculations or the theories about what happens when we die. And so the first one is that the universe excretes us. Not that death isn't already depressing enough, but that when you die, it's just, you just become waste. And there you go. The second is that you re-enter the cosmic consciousness. I'm just going to read this to you because I'm not educated enough to understand this. And so hear this. Everything is computed in your brain. So where does consciousness come from and where does it go after death? According to the orchestrated objective reduction, the consciousness comes from inner scale quantum activities from inside brain cells. This means that some activity deep Inside cells within our brain created our consciousness, and those activities stem from what they call the universe's consciousness. 
As a result, everything in the universe is connected through that consciousness. So when you die, your consciousness just returns to the cosmic fiber. We have some PhDs in the room. Some people who like to cum their masters. If you want to come explain what that means to me afterwards, please do. The third is reincarnation. This is one that many of us are familiar with. That you just come back as something else. Which I'm not too excited about that. I would hate to come back as a worm or as a cat. The fourth is you're just a video game. It's, simula it's a simulation theory that states that life is just a computer simulation. We're just characters in a game controlled by an end user we don't know. When you die, the simulation comes to an end. The craziest aspect of the simulation theory is that the simulation already has the code that you are made, so you can do whatever, it can do whatever it wants with you. For all you know, the user has paused the simulation and you are in cyberspace until the simulation starts again. That's like for many of you who still run Windows. It's like when, it's like when your screen is just, I don't know what it does. Stop using Windows. And then the fifth, the fifth is the multiverse theory, that anything is possible. This is the idea that there is a vast number of realities, and in those realities, anything could happen. There is a universe where we go to heaven, one where we are reincarnated, one where we are the walking dead, another where, we are where a 13-year-old kid controls our every move from an iPhone 7. I could believe that one. There's just no telling what life is like after death. And so that leaves us to wonder. That leaves us to wonder. And so, and so Paul says to the church in Thessalonica, I know you guys are wrestling through this, and so let me unpack what God believes. And for those who have crossed the line of faith, what you should believe. And so I'm going to read our passage this morning. I'll pray, and then we'll jump in. And so 1 Thessalonians Chapter 4, verse 13. Hear these words of our Father. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace. We need you desperately. Father, give us hope as we unpack this difficult reality that each and every one of us will face. And so I pray against any distractions here this morning. I ask that you would meet us where we are. And so it's to that end that I ask that you would stand in my body, think through my mind, speak through my vocal cords, those things you have us know, say, and do. May the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Father, you are our Redeemer. You are our King. Have your way with us this morning. It's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen. And so Paul starts by saying, I don't want you to be uninformed. 
Church, I don't want you to be uninformed. Why? Because they were grieving the loss of their loved ones. They were grieving the loss of their loved ones. Grief transcends time, space, and culture. That's that one thing that all of us can connect to. We can understand. It transcends time, space, and culture. That every culture has mourning rituals. Every culture has a culture of grief. And so as Paul unpacks some beautiful, comforting truth on the second coming of Jesus, he finds it necessary to talk about death. And notice what his first concern regarding this matter is. It's not so that the prophecy gurus or the experts can gather together and talk about the end days. It's not so that they can draw up these charts while living in their parents' basement. And go, hey, listen, this is what we believe about the end days. That's not why he writes this. It's not why he talks about the coming back of Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that those things aren't important. If you have extra time, by all means, read up on that stuff. But that's not why he talks about it. Paul's eagerness to talk about the second coming is that those who are in Christ would not grieve as those who do not have hope. He says it in verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, those who are dead, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. So Paul wants us to see that there's a biblical way to grieve. There is a biblical way to grieve. One that is saturated in hope. Paul wants us to see that there's a right way and a wrong way to grieve. For those of you who have crossed the line of faith, for those of you who call yourselves Christian, that there's a right way and a wrong way to grieve. Gabe Fuller, a pastor in Jackson, Mississippi, says this, Biblical grief is grief that is viewed through the lens of resurrection hope. I'll say that again. Biblical grief is grief that is viewed through the lens of resurrection hope. Hope. Paul is not saying that that biblical grief will make grieving easier. That's not what he's saying. I don't want you to walk out of here and think, okay, uh, if I am to be uh, saturated in hope, then grieving will be easier. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying that it's going to lessen the sting of loss. Understanding biblical grief doesn't necessarily mean that you will heal quicker. That's not what it means. It simply means that grief does not drive us to despair because in the midst of our grief, the light of resurrection hope is always shining in the darkness. That's what it means, but I'll unpack that as we move through the passage because that's how Paul looks at life. That's what he wants the church in Thessalonica to share with him. That's what he wants them to understand. He wants all believers to understand this. So that's why we need certain hope. We need certain hope because we grieve. We need certain hope because death is real. It's a reality for all of us. We need certain hope. We need this resurrection hope. So then Paul tells us how we can be certain in our hope. He begins to unpack how we can be certain in the midst of grief, how we can anchor ourselves in this resurrection hope. Verse 14, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, 
See, the certainty in our hope lies in the truth that Jesus himself died and rose again. That he resurrected. This is something that we can bank on. We can bank on this as Christians. And so just as he resurrected, those who are in Christ will too resurrect. They will also experience this resurrection. Verse 14, I'll read it again. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. There is that certainty again. We can anchor ourselves in this truth. Now, he's not just simply saying that this resurrection of believers is going to happen. That's not what he's saying. He's not just saying, hey, guys, listen, this thing is going to happen. It's going to be amazing. But rather... What Paul is teaching is that our resurrection and Christ's resurrection are not two separate events. They are not two separate events. They are like two episodes of the same event. Two episodes of the same thing. It's like, I don't know, some of you might be old enough to remember this. It's it's like when the Titanic came out back in the day. uh, I got the privilege to go and watch it at the cinema, and I did. And I, I can confidently say that, because I'm, I'm married now, almost seven years. <laughs> I got to go watch the Titanic, and, and move, they weren't making movies that long at that time, right? It was kind of a new thing. And so you'd walk in, and you'd watch the first half of the Titanic, and then they'd give us a break. I kid you not. They gave us a break. At least that's what they did at the cinema I went to. The lights went on, and they're like, all right, guys, this is now the intermission. You can go and go get some refreshments. Really bad popcorn and really expensive slushies. And so we'd wander around, and then the kind of bell thing would go on, and we'd go back in for part two. Paul says that is our resurrection. Our resurrection is just, it's, it's part two of the same event. But maybe let me contextualize it to some of y'all who aren't that old. It's like Star Wars. Does that, does that resonate? Like Star Wars has tons of episodes. But it's the same story. It's the same story. That's the very same thing with our resurrection and Jesus' resurrection. That's why Paul writes in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that Christ's resurrection is the first fruits. That's what he says. Christ's resurrection is the first fruits. Those of you who have any farming experience know what the first fruits communicate. If you're a farmer, you know what that means. The first fruits will always indicate what the harvest is going to be like. They will always indicate what the harvest is going to be like. And so Paul says, listen, Jesus' resurrection is the first fruits of what's coming. He says, if you want an indication of what the resurrection harvest is going to be like, look at the one who started it. For Paul, Christ's resurrection 2,000 years ago is our resurrection. It may be separated by time and space, but we are simply waiting for the fulfillment episode, the rest of the movie. We may have to go outside for a little bit, hang around with people that maybe we don't like, waiting for that bell to tell us to come back in but it's just part two of the very same thing. 
It's the to be continued. Episode one is over, but episode two is coming of the same series, the same movie, the same event. I want you guys to understand that. It's the same event. And so for Paul, there is no hope apart from the resurrection. There is no hope apart from the resurrection. The center of Paul's hope is the resurrection hope. That's what he wants the church in Thessalonica to understand. That's what he wants us to understand. And so to do that, he begins to unfold some basic truths about resurrection. The next few verses is Paul just unpacking some basic teaching. And so I'm going to go into teaching mode. Right? I'm going to try and make it real simple because even for me, it was kind of confusing. And so I'm going to make it real simple. Some basic truths about the resurrection to, to help us understand that Jesus' resurrection and our, our resurrection is the same thing. And so let's read from verse 15. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord. I, I love that. I just want to pause here for a moment. This is the pattern of Paul's life and ministry. He says here, for this we declare to you by a word from the Lord. That this isn't my own ideas. This isn't something that a few of us gathered around at a pub and we're like, hey man, this, this could sound really, really cool. Paul wasn't saying, listen, I, I want to communicate to the churches what I feel what I think. Now, I'm not saying that that stuff isn't important. It is. But you've got to line up everything that you feel and everything that you think to the Scriptures. And where it is not in step, you've got to pray to God and say, God, I need you to move my heart. I need you to move my heart. And, and so Paul says, listen, I'm about to unpack some difficult truth here, but I want you to know that this is from the Lord. This is not from me, but this is from the Lord. This is the pattern of Paul's life and ministry, and this should be the pattern of our very lives and ministry. But he goes on. That we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Let me jump a few verses down. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Now, at first glance, and for me, second, third, and fourth, I was like, what on earth is going on here? Those who are dead, Jesus comes back, they will go first, and then it's those who are still alive. Then they were Like, what on earth is going on? Because I thought, once you die, you're with Jesus. What is this? this no, 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 no. Those who have died, they will then rise. I'm like, I'm massively confused. Because I really did believe. I really did believe. Like, I'm sure many of you, once you've died, you're with Christ. That's why Jesus could, could confidently say to the, the thief that was next to him, when he had come to a place where he realized that he was in desperate need of a Savior, Jesus says this to him in Luke 23, verse 43, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Affirming my belief of like, well, then once you've died, you're with Christ. Then, Paul, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? What is this talk about falling asleep and then the dead rising in Christ? So, again, let me try to make it plain. But let, but let me do this. Let me, let me use some of y'all. So, Senator, do you mind coming up real quick? Um, please. You're going to be amazing. Christina, would you come up? And don't worry, I haven't left you all out. 
Y'all are, y'all are part two. All right, just stand there. Are you guys ready to cue the music? No, I'm joking. I'm joking. There's, there, is, there is no music. <clears throat> okay, so, so let me make a plane, right? Teaching mode. God made all human beings with body and soul. God made all human beings with body and soul. We see this in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. And then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground. Come here real quick, bud. So, so this is what God does. He says, I'm going to create man. And so he, he forms him. He shapes him. He molds him. Everything physical that we are. From the dust, he creates man. This physical body. But he doesn't stop there. And then breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And so, Christina, would you come... No, I'm definitely not going to do that. But if you stand next to him, he, he then breathes into this body, giving soul to man. Giving soul to man. We consist of an inner self and an outer self. We consist of an inner self and an outer self. Genesis 2 Verse 7 communicates this. I'll read 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, again, to make the point. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day to day. Because of, because of sin, right, it threw everything into whack. And so we are fading away. And so Paul makes this plain. He says, because there's an outer self and an inner self. An outer self and an inner self. And they are fading away. We are in desperate need of a Savior. And so for those of you who cross the line of faith, God begins to work in you. Your inner self. God's Spirit comes into you. He draws you to Himself renewing your inner self, even though your outer self is wasting away. This is a reality that all of us know. If you've lived long enough, you look in the mirror, your outer self is fading away, no matter how many CrossFit sessions you go to. Your outer self is fading away. Therefore, our ultimate perfection demands that both body and soul be renewed. Even creation, the creation of a new heaven and earth demands that we have bodies. A physical earth calls for its inhabitants to have physical bodies. And so death results in the separation of body and soul. Death results in the separation of body and soul. Our bodies go to the grave. And for those who believe in Christ, our spirits go to God. And so when we die, you said, You're not buried, brother. (laughs) We're buried. That's the end of our bodies. But then our souls, saturated in the Spirit of God, we go to heaven. We go to be with God. That's why Jesus could say to the thief, today you will be with me in paradise. Thief dies. Where's his body? Still on the cross. 
And then I hope they buried him somewhere. The Romans were pretty cruel, so I don't know. But his spirit, his soul was with God. This is the same with Jesus' death. After Christ died, it was his body that was buried in the tomb. However, Jesus' his spirit, his, his soul was not in the tomb. Jesus' spirit was in the, in the Father's presence. Luke 23, verse 46. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Where was Jesus' body? Still on the cross. They buried him three days. But his spirit was in the Father's presence. And so that is the same for us. For those of you who have crossed the line of faith, when you die, you, we bury your body, but your spirit is in the presence of the Father. This separation of body and soul continues until the resurrection. It continues until the resurrection. John 5, verse 28 to 29 do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. That speaks of those who are in Christ and those who aren't. Those who are in Christ and those who aren't. Right now, the souls of believers, those who have died, are in heaven. Those who have given their lives to Jesus, they're in heaven. Someday their bodies will be resurrected and joined into their spirits. They will enjoy the eternal perfection of body and soul. And so, Sanella, would you come up real quick? When Jesus comes back, body and soul will be connected again. This is the same for those who do not know Jesus. Those who have died not knowing Jesus, their bodies too will be in the grave, but their souls are separated from God. Their souls are separated from God. This is, I know, a difficult truth, but it's a truth nonetheless. And when Jesus returns, their souls and their bodies will be reunited. And then for eternity, they will be separated from the presence of God, from all His joy and satisfaction and life. Revelation 20, verse 11 to 15 speaks of this. But for Christians, for those who have crossed the line of faith, we do not need to fear that judgment because there is no possibility of condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8, 1. This is why we do what we do. We, we talk about the gospel. We preach the gospel. We share the gospel because we want this reality to be true for everyone. For everyone. So therefore, we eagerly await the redemption of our bodies. For those who have died and have crossed the line of faith, they eagerly await for the redemption of their bodies. Romans 8, 23. And not only creation, but we ourselves, who are the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. 
the redemption of our bodies. What does this mean? Does this imply that we're going to receive new bodies, kind of a reincarnation? No. There's no reincarnation. You don't become something else. It's just a glorified, perfect body, physical body, now reconnects with a glorified, perfect soul. That's what happens. There's no reincarnation. You don't become something else. How do we know this? Because we can look to Jesus' resurrection. We can look to Jesus' resurrection. He returned with a physical body. They could see him. They could touch him. Some of his disciples ate with him. We're not told that they were kind of looked at, at Jesus and were like, man, this guy looks really different. Jesus, where'd you get blonde hair and blue eyes? In the Middle East. Like, what? Physical body. Reunited with a perfect, glorified soul and spirit. Our bodies will be exactly like that of Jesus. They will be real. They will be physical, genuinely human bodies. The very same bodies while we have here on earth, yet wholly perfected and glorified. We anchor our hope in that. We anchor our hope in that. Thanks, guys. Our souls long for this. The scriptures tell us that our souls long for this reuniting of bodies and souls. But what about those who haven't died yet when, if Jesus returns? What if he was to return today? What if he was to return right now? What, what about us? What about us in this room? Paul transitions into that. Verse 17. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Paul speaks of the same reality in 1 Corinthians 15. Where he says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, meaning we shall not all die, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. For those of you that are still alive when Jesus returns, we'll be changed in a moment. That that perfection will just happen in a twinkling of an eye. See, believers who are dead will be united with their perfected bodies. Then those who are still alive will be caught up and instantly changed. So every Christian still living on the earth when Christ comes will be instantly perfected. And both the living and the dead will have their old bodies made new, glorified, glorified. And so for those who are in Christ, death is not the end. Yes, we grieve and we mourn, but it is not the end. For those who have left us, for those who have, been, who have gone to be with Christ, we can anchor ourselves in the hope that one day we will see them. And then at Jesus' return, that our bodies will be perfected and glorified as they are reunited with our souls and spirit. So when will this happen, right? Some of y'all are sitting there itching, going, when will this happen? The exact dates are not given. But Paul does tell us, we will know when it's happening. We will know when it's happening. And so he, he's almost preparing us 
Verse 16, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and the sound of the trumpet of God. The Lord will descend with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel. This voice giving authority to what is about to happen. We see this in Exodus 20, verse 18. The same trumpet. Exodus says this, And then we will hear the sound of a trumpet. We will see at the feasts of Israel or at the Mount Sinai, signifying the presence of God. And so when this trumpet, when we hear this trumpet, that means the presence of God is with us. But with us to perfect us. Body. Because our our souls, for those who are in Christ, our spirits have been perfected. We are now glorified because we are in Christ. But now our bodies are catching up. The trumpet blast that comes with such boldness, such volume that you can't even think that's what it's going to sound like. That's what it's going to be like. And so Paul says, be ready. At that moment, everything is going to be transformed. Everything, everything that we've believed in, everything that we've anchored our hope in, everything that our faith is centered around, it's going to be transformed. The dead in Christ will rise, and those of us who are alive, who will have the privilege of still being alive, will instantly be transformed. Instantly be transformed. That's the basic teaching. I hope that that made sense. And I'm sure there's many more questions, but I I try to make it plain. Paul tries to make it plain. And so this leaves us with the question, so what? What are we to do with all of this? This is great teaching, but so what? This is where I believe Paul moves from being uh, this incredible academic, of which many of you are. He moves from being this, this theological giant, from being this professor in the Scriptures, to being a pastor, to now beginning to shepherd the hearts of his people. People who are going, this is great truth, but man, what do I do because I've just lost a loved one? What do I do because I have loved ones who are sick, terminally ill? This is great truth, but, but how does this connect with what's going on in my life? He begins to shepherd his people. He applies the gospel. He applies the gospel with these seven words. Verse 18, Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Encourage one another with these words. The Greek word for encourage here is parakaleo, which can better be interpreted as to comfort. And so Paul says, So therefore, comfort one another with these words. Paul's teaching on the second coming is so that we would know that one day we're going to be reunited with those who have died in the Lord. That if they have died in Christ, we're going to see them again. And that there's there's not going to be any more tears. There'll be no need for a shovel in heaven to dig a grave. There won't be any more morgues. There'll only be life and life everlasting. Comfort one another with these words. Paul gives this command to us, hear this, as a community. He gives these words to us as the church. 
Why? Why not, why not meet with people in counseling sessions and go, hey, listen, I want you to know this beautiful truth and I want you to be comforted. Why doesn't he do that? Why does he choose to, to give this command in the context of community? Because grief, grief is, was never meant to be a private thing. Grief was never meant to be a private thing. We can only comfort one another if we grieve with one another. We can only comfort one another if we grieve with one another. This means that we've got to stop living in isolation. You hear this over and over again.